Greetings, fellow Muppet fans. Welcome once again to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch the Muppet movie two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. And I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And we're very happy to have today's return guest with us. Introduce yourself, return guest. Hello, I'm Louis Perlman. I'm a Tough Pigs contributor and a podcaster as well. You can check out my podcasts, Kick the Jukebox and XOXO Riverdale on all of your favorite podcatchers. You can. Very exciting. Yeah, you can and you should check those out. Yeah, um, yeah. They're so fun, especially XOXO Riverdale, which is a fan podcast about the CW teen drama Supergirl. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> So today we are talking about minutes 73 and 74 of the Muppet movie in which Gonzo finishes singing I'm going to go back there someday and Kermit has a heart-to-heart talk with himself. So Gonzo finishes singing. Uh, Last week we noted that Kermit had started wandering away from the campsite. So here we have uh, Kermit uh, wandering away from his friends the song ends and then Ralph's harmonica kind of continues to play and, and plays out the song. And I always forget that that's how the song ends, but it's a very lovely way to, to close things out there. Well, I think it's really nice that it, because we're watching Kermit walk away as we hear Ralph's mournful harmonica, it kind of allows us to ease into the transition from two minutes that are all about Gonzo Mm. minutes that are all about Kermit. Yeah, I think that's why I don't remember it, because it's kind of just background uh, transition noise while we're watching what Kermit is doing now. Although it's quite lovely, I think. Anthony, you said you think it's mournful. Do you think it's mournful, or do you think it's somewhat, like, affirming? What do you Um, think? I, I, I feel mournful just because, for me, the story of this clip, this two minutes of the Muppet movie, which kind of works as a short film. We, we, we've had a couple of these that kind of work as an, their own self-contained entity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the story of this particular one is that Kermit wanders off feeling very down, feeling like he's made a mistake, feeling like he made this major life decision and it was a bad idea and he shouldn't have done it. And then slowly talking himself into realizing that, no, that's not the case. He, he made a good decision. Mm-hmm. But at the start, he's very down. And that's mm-hmm. why I think more yeah, because totally. Yeah, at that time. and you know, we still have the final confrontation with the villain yet to come, but mm-hmm. really this is the lowest point for the characters in this movie. Oh, yeah, I would agree with that. Well, this is, um, you know, like in like the hero's journey, this is the moment right before the, conf- the, the, the climax where uh, this is a really sad scene for uh, Kermit, and this is when the audience is supposed to really have doubts as to whether Kermit can achieve his dreams in the film or if he's going to fail. You know, the moment right before the climax. Yeah, and Kermit himself definitely has doubts about whether he can do it. So uh, he's first. We hear him. We we hear his inner monologue speaking. Uh, he says, "I didn't promise anybody anything. What do I know about Hollywood anyway?" And he kind of goes back and forth. And then eventually 
the camera reveals that there is a second Kermit. There is other Kermit uh, sitting on a rock over there. And then he has this, this nice little conversation with himself. And it seems to me like this is one of those things that works especially well with puppets. They, Agreed. Because I, I guess there are probably movies where a character... I mean, there are definitely movies where a character talks to themselves using inner monologue. And they could even there could even be something where a character is talking to their reflection in a mirror or something. But with puppets, it's just like, it's a simple, you know, the camera moves and you see there's another Kermit there. And, you know, they can just use another Kermit puppet that they had sitting around in the workshop and they don't have to use any special effects, but it's still very effective. Yeah, but what I don't understand is how they got two Jim Hensons to do the scene. Yeah, well, he just had to to stretch his arm out really far. Oh, so what? He did one right hand, one left hand. Yeah. Oh, he's so talented. It's just great. You know what? I'm pretty sure I stole that joke from our friend Scott's uh, daughter. I don't know. I'll I'll check with him to make sure he is okay with me using their names in this podcast. But our our friend Scott, whose daughter when uh, Jillian when she was very young, asked about a scene where Kermit and Ralph were in the same shot. And she said, yeah. Wouldn't Jim Henson have to stretch his arms out really far. <laughs> that's super astute of her though. Yeah. You know? So that's what yeah. they did here. <laughs> yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> right. But this is one of those things where the fans always want to know like, Oh, so who was performing the other Kermit? But I don't think there's anything on the record to, you know, I don't think anybody do we, knows. Do we want to take a guess? I mean, it was pr- it was probably Whitmire just itching to get his hands up there. Right? <laughs> it's like, oh, I'd like to try Carmen on. Yeah, I don't know. It's tempting for anything like this to say, oh, it was probably Frank. But yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. It could have been whoever was available that day. Yeah, it could have been like Robert De Niro. We don't know. It could have been Robert De Niro. He mm-hmm. might have been at the studio for some other movie, and they were like, hey, Bobby, you want to come over here and be Kermit? Mm-hmm. Well, like I mean- a- it could have been one of the guys that we know worked on the closing scene, right? Like Tim Burton or John Landis. Yeah. Sure. Let's just assume that it was Tim Burton. Yeah, that's sure. why that's why Kermit all of a sudden is very pale in the scene and starts <laughs> singing Danny Elfman music in the middle of it. Yes. I wondered why he did that. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I, oh, I was going to say, though, that I know there are uh, fans out there who can watch a puppet like a a Muppet performance and just tell from looking which performer it's likely to be by certain performing mannerisms I don't know if anyone out there can identify other Kermit because we don't really get that many good looks at him but uh, if anyone has an idea let me know yeah that'd be interesting to learn yeah yeah so I have a theory about this scene yeah Um, Kermit comes to the realization of course that um, all his friends believed in the dream right but what really pushes him over the edge is that he realizes I was wrong when I said I never promised anyone. I promised me. Yes. That's the, that, that's the last line he speaks in these two minutes. Um, and I kind of wonder if all of that is about how like all of his friends believe in the dream, but he has to do what's right for him. If that's Jim Henson saying, I have to go make like 80s fantasy movies and shows. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think that's 100% intentional on Henson's part, but this film clearly 
is mirroring Henson's own progression as an artist. And uh, this is definitely a scene about an artist who wants to do right by himself. And that's great. And there's, you know, really, I, I, I don't think there's as a lot of films out there that are like the Muppet movie that actually handle the, the, uh, the progression of an, uh, of a creative person as, um, complexly and bluntly, um, you know, like just for, for contrast, you know, like Rogers documentary, thank you for being my neighbor. Uh, have you guys seen that yet? I, I haven't, but I believe it's called, won't you be my neighbor? Yeah. yeah isn't that what I just said? Won't you be my said, neighbor? Thank you for being my neighbor. Did I say thank you for being my neighbor? Yes, you did. That's nice too, though. I like that. I just saw the new Mr. Rogers documentary. Thank you for being a friend. The Golden (laughs) Girl story. No. Okay, so I saw the new Mr. Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And I really liked it. And Mr. Rogers is the best. And this is definitely not a criticism towards Mr. Rogers. But a lot of films that are about the artistic journey need to sort of build a narrative out of that makes things not complex. And I think being an artist, a lot of times you're always experimenting and always pushing. And that means there's always going to be as much failure as there is success. And a lot of the failures sort of get rewritten out of history. And this film, there's just so much self doubt uh, in Kermit comparatively to like learn, you know, actual biopics about real artists where it's just like, well, this happened and this happened and this happened. And this is what made them more successful as they went along after these minor failures, you know, and although the character's dreams come true at the end of the movie, this, this film deals so much more bluntly with like how complicated it is to like, you know, lead people along a creative project and be a leader. I think it's just really good for that. Yeah. I think when we get these stories about creative people like this or any historical figure too i would say we we want there to be some sort of like oh and then he doubted himself but just for a little while then he was okay and then he became great that's kind of how we want to see it definitely right well and i think i think part of that though is if it's a real story we like personally at least i know that i go in wanting to see the hits right like that's what like that's what you get excited about is when it's like, this is how they made the thing that I love. That is true. Definitely. It's obviously if it's, it's sort of approximately how it happened, but it's very heavily fictionalized, obviously. Yes. Um, so we don't worry about that as much. Right. Whereas if this was like, if this were a movie about Jim Henson, right. Mm-hmm. I think the audience would be more like, Oh, I don't care about the cube. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Sesame Street. You know, it's it's kind of funny you say that because, you know, there's been this long standing rumor in Hollywood that a Jim Henson biopic is going to get made. And in a lot of ways, maybe we already have the Jim Henson biopic that we need right in front of us, and it's the Muppet movie. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, as far as Kermit being a leader, though, this. This movie definitely is a, a huge step in Kermit's development, and that's a big part of it, I think, where he is kind of feeling the burden of leadership, where he he feels responsible 
for all the other characters. In this case, he thinks it's his fault that everyone's stranded in the middle of nowhere. He thinks it's his fault that everyone left their lives behind and now they have nothing and they're not going to get the, the contract in Hollywood. And they, they kind of keep coming back to that. Like in Muppets Take Manhattan, when they're trying to sell the show, but they're not successful, and he kind of snaps at everyone in the diner. Yes. And then in the Muppets uh, 2011, when he gives his we tried and we failed speech, when they, they can't uh, get their... what I guess that's when they, they can't get their telethon on TV? Yeah. Yes. So I think this all comes back to... Well, he had already been the leader and the host on the Muppet show, but this is kind of where that Kermit as the noble leader bearing the burden of responsibility comes from. Yeah, and I think it's harder in like a half ep- half hour episode format to like really have that character go through the progression of self doubt that they are letting him go through. And right, well, especially film, on a variety. Yeah, because they they're gonna yeah. cut to you know a pigs in space sketch or something in the middle yeah. of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so like this is a great. Uh, palette for them to do something like that, you know, a great format. Yeah. Uh, the other Kermit has a very interesting line here where he says, on the other hand, if you hadn't left the swamp, you'd be feeling pretty miserable anyhow. But is that really true? We saw Kermit at the beginning of this movie singing in the swamp. He seemed pretty happy. We didn't really see any signs that he was miserable there. Mm-hmm. I think- was done with the swamp, I think, you know? Right. I mean, think about, I mean, okay, we, we already talked about the rainbow connection for a long time, right? Yeah. But think about the, that song, right? The lyrics to it are, there's three verses. The first one is about how there's so many songs about rainbows and rainbows are not worth spending your time on. The second verse is about how like wishes on stars are not going to be heard and answered, right? And then the key changes and the third verse is about have you been half asleep and have you heard voices? Yep. I've heard them calling my name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So the third verse of the rainbow connection is all about how he has to leave. Right? Yeah. And it's that's the sweet sound that calls the young sailor. Right. The voice might be one in the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, like it's time for him to go. He's gotten all he yeah. can get out of this one. I don't know. I, I feel like if he hadn't, left he might still be content he, he wouldn't necessarily know what he was missing you know yeah but he knew right when that agent at the beginning that's it that was the you point know? of no return yeah and that's you know everybody i think that pursues a life in creativity uh everybody has that moment that nudge you know i was just talking about that with another artist friend of mine today about what was the moment where you knew you know and for me um, I can point to two examples, like to two big, big moments that I think are really similar to that agent. One of them was being five and going to Universal Studios and learning how movies worked yeah. and knowing that all I wanted was to make movies and make people believe that something was real that wasn't real. Today, was if five. you go to Universal Studios, you learn how to put 3D glasses on and ride a motion simulator. Yeah, exactly. I know. It's a, it's a big change. Yep. Uh, and then the other big moment I remember is going to my uh, art summer camp and being involved in their comedy program when I was 15 and not and watching one of the other sketches being rehearsed that I hadn't seen yet. And like literally it's one of the strongest moments of feeling like I was like literally falling in love. 
there was something that was so funny and so vibrant about it that like I couldn't do anything but wanted to do that forever. That's all I wanted to do, mm. you know? And I think that Kerm might have been happy if that agent hadn't gone by, but there he is, you know, playing his banjo and singing. That agent says, you should do this. And Kermit's like, yeah, I should, you right. know? There's no, there's no hesitation. And and this scene, you know, um, this scene is about actually having to dealing, deal with the practicalities of doing that. And that's a whole other thing. You can have your dreams, but actually putting them together, the bits and pieces of putting them together, that's where the struggle comes from and that's where the self-doubt comes from and, and the internalized monologues of self-doubt and the, the voice telling you you shouldn't do it, you know? Yeah, okay. Well, so I guess if he had met Bernie the agent and found out about the auditions and decided not to leave the swamp to go to the auditions, then he would definitely have been miserable, so... I'll get on board with that. Yeah, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. All right. So uh, Kermit says, uh, yeah, but then it would just be me feeling miserable. Now I got a lady pig and a bear <laughs> and a chicken, a dog, and a thing, whatever Gonzo is. He's a little like a turkey. And the other Kermit says, yeah, a little like a turkey, but not much. Um, I love that they undercut the the emotion of the scene with a silly little joke. Mm-hmm. But also, and I actually don't know the answer to this, how much had they talked about what Gonzo is at this point? I think very little, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. They never, it never came up on the Muppet Show, right? I mean, other than like calling him a, a weirdo, right? Yeah. But uh, so I wonder if there were fans out there who were like, if, if this was a, a topic of, of discussion among Muppet Show viewers, like, what is Gonzo? Maybe we'll find out in the Muppet movie. <laughs> He's a little like a turkey, but not much. Not much. Um, that's that's actually one of my most quoted lines from this movie. Um, it's my my wife and I. Almost any time one of us says a little like something, you know, it's a little bit like that or whatever. We'll almost always both say a little like a turkey, but not much. Yeah, <laughs> it's really funny because it's where it's, it's such a good joke, like. It's a good setup knockdown because it's where his two sides of his personality can agree on something like completely, which is so funny that that's what they're agreeing on is the fact that he looks a little like a turkey, but not really like a turkey. Yeah, no, it's funny now that you think that I think about it. He's doing a comedy bit with himself. He is doing a comedy. He's doing a com <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. Like this whole scene, I've just I've recently been um, uh, investigating, like learning about um, uh, young young psychology. And apparently, like, Jung believed a lot in, um, you know, the multiple personalities inside inside your head. You know, like, just not like multiple personality disorder, but the fact that we all have different voices in our heads at all times sort of telling us different things. And different voices can take over at different times. And this is, like, very much, I think, um, Kermit, like, self-soothing. Uh you know what I mean? Like this is Kermit having this intense moment of doubt. And then he has a literal conversation with himself where he calms himself down and steals himself, you know, for, to do what he needs to do. Right. Well, he, so uh, the, the other Kermit reminds him that everyone who's with him is there because they believed in his dream, including That's right. Kermit himself, Yeah, which makes Kermit feel better. And also kind of like he's, he, he kind of accepts that, okay, maybe, 
maybe it's not my fault. Maybe, you know, this is just, this is just who we all are and we're all in this together. That's right. Yeah. This is who we all are. Yeah. And he, he might've started the dream, but you know, it's a dream that, you know, I don't know where I got this quote from at all, but it's a dream that gets better the more people you share it with, you know? Uh-huh. Oh, that, sounds, that sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's also like very much, I think that the other Kermit is like the parent. He's the more mature Kermit. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, just like, um, like the, he's asking all the mature questions. Why do you leave the swamp in the first place? If you, and then he says, if you hadn't, left the swamp you'd be feeling miserable like he really has a good handle the other kermit has a good handle on kermit's personality yeah you know and then you know whether you promise them something or not you got to remember why they wanted to come it's because they believed in the dream you know uh and then and then kermit comes to a consensus with like his parent self with parent kermit (laughs) when he says that's right i never promised anyone i promised me he becomes the adult again in the situation instead of sort of the lost lonely kid version of himself that he is earlier in the scene right right when when the camera cuts to the wider shot and the other kermit is not there it's like he's absorbed the 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 words of wisdom kermit into his normal self yeah they're all the same guy he just needed to like have a moment to like chat with himself he was all the same kermit all along yeah which is like a good thing to remember or like you know everybody has uh the voice of self-doubt in their head which often you know my voice of self-doubt sort of takes the voice of like a scald- a scolding teacher or parent being like, you can't do this. Why would you think you can do this? You know what I mean? And, you know, you need to go in there and like say to that scolding parent, this is the opposite of what this Kermit does. This Kermit's like the wise, nice Kermit that needs to talk the other Kermit down. But, you know, you need to say like, no, 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 I got this. I'm a grown up. I can do this. I'm fine. I'll be okay. You know, and that's and that's the process that Kermit's undergoing here too, just sort of in reverse. Yeah, where the voice inside his head is the one that's actually the good guy in this case. You know. Yeah, and it works. Yeah, thank so. goodness, or else Kermit would have just told them all to go home at the end of right. the scene. Well, and at this point too, for the audience, if there was not that there was any doubt in anyone's mind that they're going to make it to Hollywood or they're going to have a happy ending, this is where it's like that that all disappears. It's like everything's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, it's more about like, well, how is it all going to happen? Yeah, we still don't know because Doc Hopper is still out there somewhere, but yeah. Yeah, Doc Hopper is still out there and like, yeah, we don't know about that like amazing ending that's just like so gorgeous. Yeah, you know, the final number, which is just, you know, like the final summation of all this stuff that we've been talking about these last two episodes, like more like human condition work, you know? Right, but whatever's going to happen, it's going to be good. It's going to be amazing. We'll find out. Yeah, and then we get the shooting star. Oh, man. So that shot with Kermit standing alone in the desert and the shooting star is one of the most gorgeous things, I think. It's just such a lovely, just pure cinematic image. Yeah. And it yeah. Makes, makes me so happy every time. Kudos to Jim Frawley for this whole scene. Yeah, for sure. Like, Jim Frawley, so, you know, under-recognized as just being... You know, he never really made anything as powerful after this, you know, and and he's he's not only um, not only did did he really give the Muppets their soul with this movie in a lot of ways. But, you know, he also 
made uh you know i'm a big fan of the monkeys and he's the one who taught the monkeys how to improvise with each other ah. back in back in the early days of the monkeys like he's really quite the architect of like modern popular culture so yeah he definitely yeah. doesn't get enough credit yeah this is this is like gorgeous work from him in my opinion yeah like yeah the way he directs the two kermit puppets and then the shooting star is unbelievable yeah and the shooting star I can think of two times that the Muppets have called back to that since this. Um, in the Muppet Christmas Carol, at the end of the One More Sleep song, uh, Kermit is standing there and a shooting star flies by. Um, which in that movie, we'll talk about this in a few years, but it, at the same time, uh, I think it's a rat in the background says, Merry Christmas! So <laughs> it makes it seem like the shooting star is saying Merry Christmas. <laughs> which is kind of weird but then um also in, yeah <laughs> go back and watch it you'll see that's so funny also in kermit's swamp years there's uh this thing where there's a star that talks to the young kermit and hmm. speaks in the voice of his mother and kind of comforts him and and tells him everything's gonna be okay so, so can, I, can i say that neither of those are the two i thought you were gonna say oh so there have been more shooting stars yeah um kermit in uh, Muppet Treasure Island, after he's like looking longingly at a picture of Miss Piggy, he looks out the window of his cabin and sees the shooting star. Oh, oh I totally forgot about that. And in the Muppets 2011, um, Kermit and Fozzie are laying in the theater, looking up through the hole in the roof, and a shooting star goes by. I forgot about that too. All right, so they've decided that uh, shooting stars are good for moments when Kermit is being uh, introspective. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, that is cool. Is there a page on Muppet Wiki for shooting stars? I didn't even think to look. Well, probably. Yeah. If not, uh, someone should create it. Uh, yes, there is. And there is one more. Oh. Uh-huh. It's a very merry Muppet Christmas movie. Daniel is sent to Earth in order to help Kermit shooting star. Also, Muppets from Space. So those are the Kermit ones. Muppets from Space. Gonzo sees a shooting star while sitting on the roof of the Muppets boarding house. Which How did I forget all these shooting stars? Yeah, I don't know. It's huh. it's a, like a very uh, heavily repeated motif in the Muppet films. So yeah, one... Ryan, how dare you forget about all these? How dare I? I should be making wishes on all these stars. Um, the one in Very Merry Christmas movie, Daniel takes the form of a star? Is that what you're saying? That's what it says on Muppet Wiki, and I guarantee you whoever edited that page remembers that movie better than yeah. I do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no kidding. So he's like, he's he's on fire, plummeting toward the earth, and then... Crashlands. I, I don't really remember anything about that part. I, I don't want to. Okay. So, uh, and then the other thing, uh, this is not the first or last time Kermit would encounter a double of himself. By this time, he had already met the mechanical wind-up TV show host in the Ruth yeah. episode of The Muppet yeah, Show. Totally. And then in the Judy Collins episode, there's a sketch with an alien, the Kuzbanian Foob, who morphs into a doppelganger of Kermit. Um, I don't know of any others before oh. this. No, I don't either. And then, of course, uh, we've talked about this in a previous episode. Uh, in the Muppet Show comics by Roger Langridge, there was Kismet the Toad, who oh, was Kermit's... Yeah. Kermit's... Kismet the Toad references on this podcast. How about what? that? If we do all the movies and we decide to keep going with something different maybe we'll do a muppet comics podcast those comics were the best that would be really cool yeah, yeah. i'm really overdue to 
to reread I've, all those. I've yeah. actually been reading them to my three-year-old lately. Um, we we don't read the whole. We read about six pages a night, and she loves it. And my Fozzie impression has improved, but I'm not ready to do it on the podcast yet. Oh, no. that's a shame because I was going to ask you to do it. And you're not ready to take Eric Jacobson's job? No. <laughs> when you get to the musical numbers in the comics, do you just make up your own uh, I, melodies? I just make up a few. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, oh, and then of the other one, of course, would be Constantine, the world's most dangerous frog who happens to look exactly like Kermit. Yeah, but the secret is Kermit is actually Constantine's double, and Constantine was the original all along. Whoa. Surprise. Did you just come up with that theory? I did. And don't forget my favorite uh, on Muppets Tonight, when Kermit sang Once in a Lifetime by the Talking Heads. Oh, and there's a bunch of oh. Kermits. Sure. And then they walk off stage, and he, he and Clifford have this exchange. Good job, Kermit. Thank you. Good job, Kermit. Thank you. Good job, Kermit. Thank you. <laughs> that is one of my favorite jokes on Muppets Tonight. Talking Heads should reform and replace David Byrne with Kermit. <laughs> you heard it here first. It would be. I mean, every once in a while, that clip from Muppets Tonight, make, from Muppets Tonight makes the rounds on the internet. It would That's, be pretty It's one cool. of the most, most popular uh, well, segments from Muppets Tonight. Yeah. It's one of relatively few where they did the entire song without cutting away. That's mm-hmm. true. Also, it would be pretty cool if they did something like that like having kermit sit in with the talking heads I, that would never happen but it would be cool it could happen <laughs> I, I can talk to some people you can oh, talk to great. some people we can make it happen yeah all right let's do it um yeah yeah uh you know uh this is a, a bit of a tangent from this minute of the podcast but apparently jim henson was a big talking heads fan is that true uh-huh a- oh. apparently apparently his it was Brian's, I think it was Brian's idea to do the once in a lifetime segment as a tribute to his dad. Oh, and we surprised. Yeah. Isn't have, that cool? Have you ever seen the, the pitch tape for the Jim Henson hour? Oh yeah. They use wild wildlife for yeah, it. Yeah. Right? The end of it is like a montage of every cool thing the Muppets have ever done basically. And it's set to wild wildlife. Yep. There you go. Because Jim Henson and talking heads go together like peanut butter and jelly. Yes. Yeah. Love exactly it. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that brings us to, uh, speaking of music, Kermit thinks he hears music off in the distance, but then that's exactly where this clip cuts off. So we'll have to wait until next week to find out what Kermit is hearing. Spoiler um, alert, Kermit isn't listening to Talking Heads. No, like it's, it's, it's the, the Talking Heads don't roll up in their Stop Making Sense mobile. But wouldn't that but, have been something? Oh, but, don't get me started. But we are going to see that Kermit is a dream operator. Oh, oh, that's a deep cut. I'm very impressed. Yeah, uh, True yeah. Stories is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, True Stories is so good. <laughs> and it's also sort of Muppety. Yes, yeah, for sure. I would say definitely yeah. the sensibility of it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's all I have. Uh, any other thoughts on these clips, or this clip, these minutes? Oh. Hmm. It's nice. Uh, I, I just want to say thanks for having me on and letting me do uh, four of the minutes of the movie that I think are like four of the most powerful minutes of the whole film, you know? Yeah, you got, some, you got some good consecutive minutes here. Yeah, very much so. Like a lot to talk about, a lot to dissect, of like really beautiful, like reasons why I actually like really love the Muppets, you know? Yeah, definitely. So uh, with that, we will wrap things up for this week. Listeners, please remember to check out toughpigs.com on the internet 
as well as Facebook, Twitter, and various other places. You can find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe. You can find Anthony at Zeppo Marxist. And Louie, remind our listeners where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Louie4711 and at www, because I'm from 1996.louieperlman.com. And uh, your articles are on uh, toughpigs.com. Of course they are. What would be one article that you would direct people to on Tough Pigs? That's a really good question. Um, I wrote a piece about Jerry Jewell I'm pretty proud of. Yeah, that was a good Uh, one. Yeah. Thank thank you. Yeah. uh, I wrote a really fun article about New York, uh, uh, the New York music as related to the Muppets. Oh, yeah. Uh, That one I... I really like and that one I talk about the the once in a lifetime Kermit piece so yeah maybe start with some of those and go down a Louis at Tough Pigs rabbit hole you know very good so uh, everyone should go check those articles out and then also if you have a minute please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever it's called and tell all of your friends about the show and we will see you next week for another episode of Moving Right Along Goodbye. Yay! But not much. <laughs>